welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we've been in Romans chapter 12 this summer and we're covering a couple of verses this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and read that if we can put that up on the screen. That'd be great. These are verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 14, 17, 19, and 20. And it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's anger. For it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I would just like to say that I would have rather preached about hospitality, which was our talk last weekend. Okay, moving on. Um, (laughs) So this passage is talking directly about retaliation and revenge, and those are things that are all around us. Um, We see that a lot. Um, on television during political campaigns, and we see it on Facebook a lot, and you probably experience it on your daily commute to work. Um, If you've ever seen road rage, that's a very small form of retaliation and revenge. Um, It's a very, we're very familiar with these things, and they're really just forms of self-serving anger, and that's a very deeply entrenched pattern in the world today. Um, I think from first glance, this passage we're talking about this morning seems very action-oriented and very behavioral, which it is, um, much like the rest of Romans 12. But what we've uh, just experienced together this summer is that this whole passage is really about spiritual formation. And we've been defining that the way that Dallas Willard defines it, which is learning to live our lives as if Jesus were living in our place. So N.T. Wright says that these verses specifically are about our, specifically about taking responsibility for our own mental and emotional health, and specifically about the ways that we respond and experience anger. So this might be a little bit of a touchy area for some of you. This is a very touchy area for me. Also nice that I'm preaching about it. So there we are. There is level ground (laughs) this morning. Um, Yeah, just to be really vulnerable with you guys, this is a present area of my life that the Lord is inviting me into formation about. Um, For those of you who know me really well, you know that and you've seen some of that. And it hasn't been, it's not the most beautiful thing, but it's really, um, it's joyful with the Lord to be walking in that. So this is as much for me as it is for all of us this morning. We're all in this together. Um, I really began wrestling with anger in the context of Dylan and mine's first year of marriage. Um, You can laugh. It's okay. Um, (laughs) We're pretty open about it. Um, While at the same time really starting to understand what covenant means, right? And what, what a covenant looks like and what it looks like to live in covenant. So like anger and covenant, anger and covenant. It's a really interesting pair. Um, And what I've learned about covenant is that it really uncovers the patterns of the world and the patterns in my heart, the broken ones that I have chosen to live by most of my life. And it uncovers all the things that I really want to hide. Um, But while God's covenant uncovers these patterns, it's also really the container um, or 
another way of saying it, it's the vessel for us while we're being transformed, right? It's wide enough and it's high enough and it's deep enough that we can, it, that we're completely held and completely covered while we are being changed by God. Does that make sense? And it's really the only thing that's, that's big enough to do that is God's covenant. So I just want to lay that out as like, we have a wide open space of grace this morning. We're going to be talking about hard, difficult things, but God's covenant for us is so big that there's so much room for you this morning and so much room for me this morning. So let's jump in here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Um, so there's some like weird ancient words in here that we don't really say a whole lot. So I'm going to unpack bless persecute and curse real quick before we move on. Um, so bless, in the Greek, I am not a scholar, so I don't know how to say this, and Ben can tell me if I'm wrong, but in the Greek, this word is eulogite. Is that right? You, maybe. He doesn't know, so I'm like, yeah, we'll go with it. Um, it's eulogite, but so like, so like, who knows what a eulogy is? Who's heard like of a eulogy? Yeah, so a eulogy is something that someone gives in honor of somebody who's passed away. It's to praise this person and kind of um, delight in this person and really to be in raptures about this person. And so to bless is to eulogize the living, right? So it's like to speak life over somebody. It's to speak praise over somebody, not when they're dead, but like right now, right here and now. And I just want to say Vineyard Cleveland, y'all are so good at blessing. Like you're so good at it. Um, People that come to our church, you know, for the first time are always like, everyone is so kind and so hospitable. And that just like speaks to blessing. So just right off the bat, like y'all are amazing at blessing. Um, so persecute. Persecute means to put to flight or to chase. Persecute is when someone comes against you in a way that makes you want to run um, or makes you want to fight back in some cases. Um, Paul in this passage is talking about literal, like actual persecution, the way that we think of it in the historical sense and the current sense for a lot of people groups. Um, but he's also addressing something that happens in our hearts when we've been offended or violated or hurt. So he's talking about both literal and this internal thing that's happening. And we're all familiar with what that feels like. And then to curse, cursing is the opposite of blessing. It's more than just swear words. Um, that's a whole other talk because sometimes I swear, but Jesus still loves me. So, um, so, right. Um, so curse, to curse is to condemn or to doom. And it's the opposite of bless. So it's to speak death over somebody. It's to speak evil over somebody's life. Um, so this, this sentence, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Paul is actually mimicking Jesus's words in the gospel of Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 44, when Jesus says, I tell you this, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. I love this verse so much, and we're going to unpack it more in a little bit. But the first thing that we have to consider, we have to ask the question, who are our enemies, right? Who are those that persecute us? Um, people become our enemies because of wrongdoing or maybe because of sin, they've done against us or we've done to them. Maybe it's because of fear or simply because a lack of understanding. Um, I just want us to take a moment right now and pause. And I want you to ask yourself who your enemy is. And I promise that you have at least one. And this might feel like 
the opposite direction that we should be moving in, but we actually cannot learn to love our enemies until we can identify who that is. So let's just like take a moment. I'm just going to be quiet for a second. Okay. The Lord probably already spoke because that's like, you know, like, you know, if you like ask the Lord, you know who your enemy is. Um, And I'll just be really honest for me. There are really two people that I can very strongly identify as um, people that I turn on and people that I treat as my enemy. And the first person would be my husband, even though I love him so much. And the second person that I really uh, often treat as my enemy is myself. And I think if we're really honest, a lot of times it's the people closest to us who actually really quickly and really frequently become our enemies. And a lot of times it's ourselves that we most often are frustrated with and want and want to curse. So this is how self-serving anger plays out for me. Um, when I feel hurt or I feel offended, I am willing to go to war. It's just how I'm made. Um, this is really the pattern that I had been conformed to as a really, like from you know a very young age, which is that if I felt vulnerable, I needed to take power so that someone else could not take power over me. Does that make sense? It's not good, but it makes sense, right? And this is really where, for me, cursing comes into play because I begin to use words um, to try to gain a sense of control or try to put myself back in a place of power or try to build up around me a wall of defense. Um, And then for me, right after that huge anger, there's a huge plummeting shame that follows, and that's when I experience anger towards myself. This might seem really foreign to you. Maybe none of you say things that you don't mean ever, or maybe none of you have ever (laughs) tried to inflict damage on someone that you really love. Um, Or maybe you understand what this is like, and you've been there, and you go through it all the time. It's it's a pretty normal thing. And I just want to say, too, that my experience has been that when I, in those moments when I choose to speak death, either over my spouse or myself, I I lose myself. I lose sight of what's true, and I I lose sight of reality. Um, Madeline LaEngle talks about cursing like this. Madeline LaEngle is one of my most favorite people in all the world. Um, She's a thinker and theologian and a creative. And she says that cursing is a boomerang. If I will evil towards someone else, that evil becomes visible in me. It's an extreme way of being forensic toward myself as well as toward whatever outrages me. To avoid contaminating myself and everyone around me, I must work through the anger and the hurt feelings and the demand for absolute justice to a desire for healing. This is really, really hard work, church. Um, To be able to look at the way the anger has been devastating in my life has nearly undone me a few times this past year. Um, and we want absolute justice, right? Like we yearn for absolute justice. It's in us. Um, but as I've really started to release my anger and ask the Holy Spirit to move in that space, I've started to understand God's anger really for the first time in my life. So let's look again at Romans 12. We're going to move into verse 19, and it says, Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's anger. 
For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. And this is a passage referencing uh, in Deuteronomy. But, like, what do we do with this? Like, it's okay if we want revenge. Like, we all get that that's a very human thing to want revenge. It's kind of awkward that God wants revenge. Like, that feels challenging, right? That feels like, okay, like, where do we put that in our box of who we understand the Father's nature to be? Um, I think it's really tempting to say this is just how God in the Old Testament feels or that this is just, like, God, how God the Father feels. But Jesus doesn't feel like that. Like, he never wants revenge. Like, he's never out to, like, repay what's been done. Um, but the truth is, this is, like, this is the Father, Son, Spirit here and now. This is really his nature. And this challenges me so deeply. Um, so this past year, I started receiving spiritual direction, which, for those of you who don't know, is just a way of sitting with somebody who kind of helps you discern God's movement in your life. A lot of times we use the phrase dusting for the fingerprints of God um, as a way to explain what that is like. And my spiritual director is so wonderful, and she's so sweet. And she asked me one day, Billy, like, she's so sweet. Billy, how could your anger be a gift from God to you? And I was like, it's not. Like, it's not. It just never is. Like, it's horrible. Like, it's terrible. Um, and she was like, I don't think that's actually true. So she just, like, had me sit in silence, which is, like, what we do when we don't know things, right? We're just like... You just be quiet, and you wait, and you hear from the Lord. Um, <laughs> but then it was in that space that the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, you have anger because God has anger, and you were made in his image. But God's anger is always holy, always righteous, and always driven by his unfailing love for his people. He is, you guys, he's passionate to the point of fierceness with us. Another time I was in spiritual direction, um, my director had me read through the story of Jesus in the temple where he, Jesus walks into the temple and he literally makes whips out of cords and begins to like drive these vendors out of the temple because basically they're trying to make a profit off of people's need to be in right relationship with God. They're trying to like sell God's presence to people, which that's like a whole other talk. We could talk about that. Um, but so he walks in, these, these vendors are trying to sell things that people need in order to make sacrifices and be in right relationship with God. And Jesus was pissed. I mean, like, he was outraged. He, he started driving them out. Like, literally, this man was crazy. He was, like, flipping tables. He had whips in his hands. Like, he was going for it. Um, and that is just, like, not the image of Jesus that we typically hold in our minds. That's not typically even the Jesus that we want to come to, right? That's not the Jesus we picture when we're asking for help or we're asking for comfort or asking for peace. But this is the thing, is that God cannot stand oppression and he can't stand injustice and he cannot stand abuse. And this is why he says, it is mine to avenge and I will repay. So Paul continues in the passage. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I just want to say that if we say yes to being transformed, even our anger can be changed into something that reflects the heart of God. 
and we can respond to offense with generosity and we can respond to anger out of love. I actually wasn't going to talk at all about the burning coals on his head part because I just thought that was like, okay, like a little much, Lord. Um, I just didn't want to do it, but yesterday the Lord had me rewrite half of this. So um, N.T. Wright talks about this phrase that this phrase is actually capturing what it looks like to feel repentant. Like he's actually capturing an image of repentance here. And so what Paul is trying to say is that if you are generous in the face of offense, it can actually bring your enemy to repentance. That's so good because repentance is like the one thing that God desires for all people throughout all time, across all history, forever and ever. He wants repentance for people so that they turn back to him. Not as a way of condemning or shaming, but he wants repentance for all people so that we'll turn back to him. And if we're generous in the face of offense, it can actually make, it's an invitation for our enemies to become repentant. Does that make sense? So, if retaliation and revenge are the patterns of the world, then we need to know what the new way is for us as followers of Jesus, and that is abandoning self-defense. So I want to just say what needs said, which does, this does not mean that abuse is okay. Um, let's just be clear on that. It's possible to bless the one hurting you while also not allowing the hurt to continue or um, letting the abuse happen. We've talked about how God feels about abuse, right? So in blessing our enemies, we're not saying that the pain that they've caused is okay. What we are saying is that our identity is rooted in God's goodness to us rather than the pain that's been done to us. I'm going to say that again. So in blessing our enemies, we're not saying that the pain is okay. This is really important, you guys. People hurt us and damage us, and it is, we are not saying that that is okay. What we are saying is that our identity can be rooted in God's goodness to us rather than the pain that's been done to us. So Madeline Engel says this about blessing. She says, we must bless without wanting to manipulate, without insisting everything be straightened out right now, me, without insisting that our truth be known. This means simply turning whoever it is we need to bless over to God knowing that God's powerful love will do what our own feeble love or lack of it won't. Man, the without sisting everything be straightened out right now. When Dylan and I are fighting, he's like, let's have, he's like, let's just like, how about, it's like 11 o'clock. How about we just like go to bed? We could pick it up in the morning. And I'm like, no, we are figuring this fight out right now. We are going to be reconciled right now. And I am not leaving until we do. That's so great, right? Like that's so peaceful and like, with such a kind heart to my, to my husband. Um, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Okay. So, <laughs> so blessing without insisting that everything be straightened out right now and without insisting that our truth be known. Um, this sounds so much like Jesus to me, you guys. Without insisting that his truth be known. Jesus was the first to bless his enemies. And scripture says that that's actually you and me. He was the first to bless his enemies. He did not insist that the truth be known as he was being led to the cross, right? Instead, he abandoned every form of self-defense. 
And he would have been justified, probably the only one in all of history who would have been justified with self-defense. He lived the perfect, fully human life, and then he died an enemy's death. Jesus is so unconcerned with taking power and so unoffendable for his own sake. Um, because he knew that he didn't need to defend his own kingdom. We don't have to defend things that can't be stolen from us. So Jesus could look to the left, and he could bless the thief, right, that hung on the cross beside him, and he could look to the soldiers in front of him who'd put him up there, and he could bless them. Um, He could share a table over and over with his best friends who disowned him, just like we did this morning in communion. He knew that he didn't have to defend his own kingdom. It couldn't be stolen from him. And this is why he says, I tell you, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. This is so good. And this, um, for me this week was really, and more than this week, just in my journey of dealing with anger, has been the thing that has really brought about change in me. Um, There's a connection between being able and choosing to bless our enemies and being called sons and daughters of God. What Jesus is trying to say, like just to make it really plain, is that our ability to bless our enemies is what we get in the kingdom. It is our inheritance. And our ability to bless our enemies is our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High. When people look at us and they see us blessing our enemies, they're like, huh, they're marked. Like, what is it about them that they're blessing their enemies? That when somebody posts something nasty about them on Facebook, They just answer with a heart emoji. Like, what's going on? I mean, maybe that's not the way to do it. I'm not on Facebook. (laughs) I've just, like, gotten out of there. Um, I need to delete my profile. Anyway, that's that's a rabbit trail. What I'm trying to say is that, really, our ability to bless our enemies is our identity as sons and daughters of the Most High. If we are willing to bless those who persecute us, we are literally walking in the nature of Jesus himself. Do you guys see that? This is literally living our lives as if Jesus were in our place, which is what spiritual formation is all about. So maybe for you, it's your anger, or maybe for you, it's that you can never be wrong, or maybe it's your unwillingness to trust. Maybe it's the way that you talk to yourself, that you would never talk to anybody else like that, or maybe it's your need to be in control all the time. How is the Lord inviting you to abandon any of these forms of self-defense? And maybe it's something else that I didn't say. But what I've experienced is that when we're willing to abandon self-defense, that's actually proof that we are being transformed into his likeness.